Welcome to a brand new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, it's true. We are back on the air. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Nate Larkin, joined uh, from the left coast with the inimitable Aaron Porter. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. And uh, we're waiting on Mondo to arrive in the magic chair and doing the engineering and contributing is a new voice you haven't heard before, Mark Whitlock. Hey, Mark. Good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on whatever time you're listening to the podcast. Oh, that's true. They might listen to it at any time. They might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we are making a commitment. I'm so grateful to uh, Mark for stepping up. Life has gotten so chaotic uh, for most of us that uh, it's weeks have gone by without us recording an episode. And I'm grateful that Mark stepped up, found us a place, and... Uh, Weeks is a very generous <laughs> yeah. assessment. Okay, months and months. Uh, and, well, and why give us give us a little of the uh, what's what's happened in the Larkin world that you know obviously this show's sun rises and sets on your schedule. <laughs> it's been a blur. Allie's had some more health challenges. Uh, had a heart procedure, and uh, we've. Uh, work is kind of blown up and it seems as though so many things in my life have conspired against this thing that I really love which is that weekly conversation with other guys that we can share with uh, men and women around the country and around the world it's kind of like you know what it kind of reminds me of is uh, how easy it is to get out of the habit of going to the gym you buy the membership, you make the commitment, and you go regularly for a little while, but you skip, and then the next time it's a little easier to skip, and it kind of feels like that's what happened to the podcast. There's a there's a meeting concept in there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, there must be. There must be. <laughs> I can't quite draw the parallel, but it's there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how about you, Aaron? Life is good. We're having a great holiday season. We... uh Every year, and I know we've talked about this over the years, trying to make the uh, the Christmas season significant and not have it pass by. And you hit New Year's and think, man, we had so many good plans with the family. And yeah, so this year we are actually being a bit more diligent. When I was a youth pastor, one of the things that I thought was a really important uh, paradigm was that youth group happens in the preparation time. So if I was shopping for a beach day or something i would always take two or three high schoolers with me Mm -hmm. and our best connection times were in the in-between times yes and now that i have two teenagers and two younger kids in the house their schedules are insane Mm -hmm. and the fact that my oldest son does not yet have his license means we are just ferrying kids everywhere constantly yeah but we are uh, just starting to get this routine where you know, if one is in a youth group in another town, uh, we've just been going out with the rest of us and playing chess at a cafe for like two hours. And so we've actually had like some better family intimate times wow. since it's gotten so chaotic. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been fun to be a bit more disciplined with applying that principle of letting the good life happen in those in-between moments. Oh. So. I think that's that's making me feel very encouraged. I was discouraged at the beginning of this school year when I realized that four days a week we had activities in a whole nother town that 
you know, had these gaps of time where you either drove back home and then back to pick up kids or you just lingered and wasted hours. Yeah, yeah. So getting all of that organized a little better uh, just feels really good. Like I'm not wasting chunks of days. That is fantastic. Well, uh, and you did. You made a you made a pilgrimage out here to Tennessee at one point during our hiatus. It was good to see you when you were actually here. <laughs> I had a great four days alone in your house. It was, it was good. <laughs> Aaron came to visit, and we left. <laughs> It was a yeah. that's a gift of hospitality. Yeah, right there. exactly. I and you know what I I enjoyed Nate's uh, hot tub for the first time. I love going in hot tubs when it's raining. It's mm-hmm. just I don't know. It's awesome. Yeah, but it was it, Nate's yard is pitch black, and so I got in and I'm like, "Where's the the button to make the bubbles happen?" There's a hot tub, and it felt like I was just sitting in a bath, and that was awkward sitting outside in a bath. Mm-hmm. And so I'm groping around pushing buttons, and I finally push a button that activated the super jets and found that I was sitting directly on the rectal jet. And to this day, nobody has explained in appropriate terms why there is a rectal jet on one of the seats. But uh, I had never uh, had one of those uh, water enema things before. But It's a French say, jacuzzi. It's, uh, it's very cleansing. And Nate knew exactly what seat that was when I told him. Yeah, yeah. His whirlpool was made by Bidet, <laughs> a French company. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we've gotten uh, we've gotten some mail during the interim. Uh, what do you say? We take a little break, then come back and open the mailbag. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. La mer qu'on voit danser le long du golfe clair a d'argent. La mer, des reflets changeants sous la pluie. La mer, au ciel d'été, confond ses blancs moutons avec les anges si purs. La mer, bergère d'azur. Okay, and we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast, opening the magic mailbag. First letter here. Okay, we're hmm? going to start a little heavy here. Oh, yeah, we are, yeah. First letter comes from, uh, from a brother named Bob. He says, hey, guys, just wanted to let you know that I do listen to your podcast and have enjoyed it very much. I read Nate's book a few years back, and... In part, it's helping me from ministry. Uh, it is helping me form a ministry to men here at our church. Unfortunately, a fellow pastor and friend took his own life about a year and a half ago. He was my friend for 35 years. I'm 54 now. He was 53 when he died. He had been living a secret life of porn, sex addiction for years. His wife knew of some of his struggles, but she did not know that he met up with women he met on Craigslist. When his secret life was discovered, he took off. He basically told his wife he was, quote, going to make it look like an accident, unquote, and promptly drove his car into a lake where he drowned. It still seems unreal. I've always been known pretty much as a real kind of 
pastor and at times find leading and doing church a hard thing. But the community of people I lead are pretty real too, so it's been a decent fit. That said, I felt burdened to start a conversation slash ministry to the men in our church where we can talk about these things if needed. The uh, positive sobriety approach is one I want to pursue, hoping, praying, and modeling that when stuff does need to be talked about, and it will, men will feel uh, free and safe to share. Do you have any words of wisdom for this new journey? So there's a, a couple really important topics in this. Um, and we were talking before the show that it's it's hard to use such a tragic situation as a, kind of a springboard into important topics. But this this is real life. Yeah. Um, this the first part is a, a story of a man who had uh, a life of secret sin, and the fact that he was. A pastor. I mean, first we we always love to debunk the idea that pastors are different than other people, that they're asexual creatures, that they don't deal with the same struggles and uh, desires as anybody else. But the the fact that he was a pastor certainly puts him in a position of extreme isolation. Yes, and I think there are different versions of it besides pastors, where everybody has that excuse to isolate and to say, if I tell the truth blank will happen because blank. We all fill in those two blank spots in different ways. Yeah. But it's the same thing. And so uh, here's a person that had that isolation, that, uh, that secret. And then when it came out, uh, it, it really just took me to that Judas place where I look at Judas Iscariot and think, ah, oh, why? Why was Jesus, mercy, and grace, why did you see it as being unavailable to you? And so Judas, in his shame, takes matters into his own hands, takes judgment into his own hands. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, in the pirate monk community, there's a lot of principles here. What are the first that stick out to you, Nate, as you read a story about a person that didn't have the community that we're hoping our listeners do. You know, um, Bob doesn't tell us how current uh, his friend kept him on his struggles. Uh, we don't know how hidden this sin was, whether nobody knew about it ever, or whether when he talked about it, I'll bet if he was a fellow pastor that he behaved uh, the way I did as a pastor mm. prior to recovery. Mm. You know, it amazes me. Some of, you know, a very high-profile friend of mine, we started in ministry together in South Florida. Uh, I quit after five years. He went on to spectacular success before a spectacular explosion and failure. Mm. Uh, but during those early years, he and I met every week and uh, went for a walk and talked. And I was uh, I'm as close to him as anybody was, I feel, and I felt he was as close to me as anybody was. And we talked, uh, but we always talked in code. Mm. Uh, and we never uh, really got down to the – I never disclosed to him. I would talk about lust in generic terms. 
but I never disclosed to him how ugly the battle had gotten and uh, exactly what I was doing. Uh, moving, it was at, right at the point where I was moving pornog- from pornography into prostitution. And um, I don't know, to this point, I don't know when his sexual struggles began, how active they were then. All I know is he never brought them up to me. Um, and while, while we did have a close friendship and we did pray for each other, we still talked in code. And there really wasn't any need for it. I can understand how sometimes guys who are within the same governmental structure, within a denomination, the same reporting structure where they feel obligated that they're going to have to report some guy who's gotten deep in the weeds if they're part of the same structure. I can understand how sometimes those guys get really careful about what they say to somebody else within the denomination. But this guy and I weren't in the same denomination. My secret would have been safe with him, I think. Uh, and he, he wouldn't, you know, not that he would have co-signed my bullshit. He would have, I think, stepped on to help me. And in so doing, I'm sure, would have found some help himself. But I never did it. So that's the first thing that sticks out to me. So uh, there's, a, there's a meeting principle here, which is in a Samson meeting, or one like it, you, you're not necessarily going to give all the details. Right. Um, you're, you're finding out how to be honest. Uh, but I would say there's often a little bit of code talk there. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I mean, would you say sometimes it's appropriate that it's not, it's not the resp- responsibility of every man to give every detail to every person all the time? Oh, sure. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing is, do you have at least a man, and preferably two or three, that there is no code talk? That's, I mean, that's what a Silas is for. This exactly. is a person that knows the whole story. Yes, exactly. And, um, yeah, we, we, we typically do not do, you know, full detailed confession and stuff. And guess who just walked in the room? Mondo uh, is here! Oh, I was going to guess Celine Dion. That's, that would have been so far off. <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning to you too, Aaron. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Mondo. Hey, you're as good as Celine Dion. Well, thank you. I'm definitely prettier. Your, your text <laughs> said that you were putting out fires. Putting out a fire. Was that a literal fire? Oh, well, no. Or a figurative fire? Figurative fire. Okay. Yeah, I am yeah. so disappointed. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry I didn't give you more excitement as I walked in. Because you're wearing, man, a fireman hat. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. What? And there's a fire in the backyard I saw. I was tempted to go help them. But oh, really? It looks like they were actually trying to have a fire in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway. I, I think that is hard for, for people to, uh, at least at the beginning of meetings, how, like, give an example, Nate, if you yeah. were... If you were really struggling with, uh, I want to look at porn this week, yeah, 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 it's yeah. really just on my mind, and you go to a meeting, How? What, what are the words that you might use to a group where maybe you don't even know everybody there? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I would say and have said, uh, I'm having a real battle with porn this week. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in my conversation with a Silas, I might get more specific. Uh, I shouldn't give web addresses and that kind of stuff in a meeting. Uh, uh, I, you know. do, do you know how many people have given me uh, confessions of like workarounds on filters? <laughs> and, 
website. <laughs> this is the most unhelpful confession I've ever heard. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've made the mistake in you know in talking to groups where I'm describing you know the dangers that their children are facing or that college kids are facing today what the temptations are i've made the mistake of getting too specific i see people i'm giving people ideas that you know telling about apps they didn't know existed and <laughs> uh, no see not to get too far off the topic yeah but i did uh, tell people about triple x church in a conference once and uh, a young college uh, lady woman yeah decided to put it on their family computer and uh-huh. unfortunately, then uh, the whole family started receiving reports about dad's uh, internet activity because oh. she never told anybody else she put it on. Oh. And though that was probably in the end helpful, I did feel some guilt over the fallout that we all kind of went through. And that family's doing great right now, by the way. Okay. But good. yeah, it, man, you never know yeah. what trouble will be your fault. Yeah, yeah. Here's uh, so Silas gets the detail information. Yeah. Again, it's the do I have at least one to three. And I really like that it's more than one person. Yeah. And it might not be the ongoing I call three people every day. No. But that there are a small group of people that really know the current, and that's that's a big part too, right? Yeah. Real-time confession. Yes. Not testimonials. Can you define the difference between the way Christians do testimony confessions <laughs> and real-time <laughs> confessions? <laughs> Yeah, well, the big uh, key, I think, is, you know, am I talking in the present tense or in the past tense? And I really have got to be a Christian. I've really got to believe the gospel. I've really got to believe that what counts is Christ's righteousness and not my own in order for me to get truly honest about the, the current state of the wickedness in my own heart and mind. Uh, as long as I'm trying to protect protect some idea of my own righteousness or protect um, a reputation that I've built I'm trying uh, to trying to maintain then I'm gonna I'm gonna fudge I'm gonna be silent uh, I'm going to uh, uh, try to distract people by confessing secondary things I'm gonna plea bargain I'm gonna do all kinds of stuff rather than go straight to what's today kicking my tail mm-hmm. but here's what I know I make I make the room safe for other people to get real when I get real. Yeah, that's great. It's contagious. Yeah. It's so interesting hearing you say that because the not uh, giving real-time testimony, you write about in your book when you talk about date Nate and Saint Nate, the way you're wired, your body of flesh, this vehicle you live in that is trying to keep you from the gospel, has always wanted to create personas. Yes. and so real-time honesty will threaten those personas. Yep. But as you were talking, I was thinking, man, that is not how I'm wired at mm-hmm. all. That I'm wired to avoid people having power over me. And so vulnerability, my flesh always whispers in my ear, do not be vulnerable. And so for a lot of people, that's the reason they don't like uh, real-time honesty. Right. Because if I can work out the problem, oh, if I if I was struggling with uh, with temptation last week, and and maybe I blew it, but then I receive forgiveness between me and Jesus, and now things are wrapped up, and I'm not feeling tempted. Okay, now it's safe to tell the group because nobody then has to try to touch me. Nobody has to try to help me. I don't need any help. 
I'm done. Me and Jesus worked it out. So I'm just letting you know, I'm reporting on what me and Jesus did alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love being in groups that call you out on that. Yeah. When somebody gives, or if I would give a, uh, a, a testimony confession, that the automatic question is, well, hey, uh, quick question. Who did you call last week when you were in the middle of it? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that is just the most important. Instead of being like, well, praise God. It's all, yay, good. You know what? Screw that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not praising God for you being in isolation last week. Yeah. Uh, struggling and then trying to pull that out as a good example is yeah. not a good example. And sometimes it takes a little time before that type of relationship can can be fostered. I connected with the new Silas about three months ago, mm-hmm. and he's been, well, uh, I struggled last night, and he wouldn't even say with what, but because of the initial confession, right. I kind of knew where he was going. And, uh, and so when I have confessed, when I have talked about my struggles, He's gone, man, that's just so heavy. You know, I can't believe you're going through all this stuff. Are, are, you, are you depressed? And he'll ask me these questions. I'm just trying to stay clean. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, just make sure that I'm clearing my decks every day so that, uh, um, you know, that I'm, I'm straight. Well, last night, so it's been about three months. Last night mm-hmm. I got a text. There are big boobs everywhere I look. There you go. And I feel like we had a breakthrough. And <laughs> we, 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 we talked uh, about an hour before the podcast today. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. He's, in, he's getting to a place where he feels more comfortable sharing reality of right. where, where his struggles are awesome so so that there is a uh, a gentler version of what i said which is when you're growing that relationship to gently ask somebody hey that is really great that you got through that uh what kept you from calling when it was happening mm-hmm. and just just asking those questions because we don't think about it we we've been raised in a testimonial culture yeah right. <laughs> in the church that's right where we just want to see god prevail and we forget that god prevailing is not without the body of christ yeah yeah so back to our uh our letter this uh this this guy dealt with his shame by uh very extreme measures yeah and so that that might not feel relatable but what are some other ways that we might when we whether it's uh, get caught or feel like we've hit the bottom what are ways other ways that we take our shame into our own hands that we should be aware of hmm man i i uh recently uh last within the last three months uh a buddy of mine uh Similar similar story. Uh, obviously, he didn't handle it the same way as the story, but he uh, he he left physically mm-hmm. uh, altogether. Um, mm. uh, basically, disappeared for a while. Um, nobody knew where he was. He contacted myself and another buddy of ours. Uh, but it's a different way of of escaping. Mm-hmm. Okay, he he may not have gone to that extreme uh, as this story, but he definitely left to try to get away. Yeah, uh, from from the from the drama from uh, from the reality. Yeah, um, but uh, as time went on, little did he know his reality was still with him in the car. Yeah, um, and you know, so some guys, uh, you know, gals even, I guess would would just physically leave. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, uh, uh, you know, mine was, you know, I want to escape, so let me let me go to the bar. Yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, which develops a whole another issue. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay, so it's 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 a snowball. Yeah, um, is it's that thing you think you're leaving, but it's it's right in your back pocket the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, leaving the family or leaving the group. Yeah, leaving the, the group. If leaving. that's the place that you feel like people know you, and this was always my concern for uh, Nate early on was that once you have confessed and you become kind of a paragon of honesty, yeah. then if you screw up again, the shame is exponential. Right. It's doubled, and then it's quadrupled. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, leaving the family is a great example of taking shame into your own hand, but also leaving the community of people that you think you're going to disappoint with your re-struggling mm-hmm. is another way to take shame into our own hands. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, th- those are the most common that I've seen personally. Just guys just all together leaving a location, leaving the family, uh, avoiding. Uh, and one guy left. <laughs> he left the state. He went up to Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> just rolled out, man. I mean, um, so that's the most common that I've seen in, in, in my friends and guys that I, that I walk with. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we can also flip personas. Uh, we could just go all hyper-religious. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of this overcompensate, just become super spiritual, right? Um, which is which is not true repentance mm-hmm. and confession. Yeah. So I'm gonna piggyback off of that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got a guy. I don't even know what you call this. I'm gonna just describe. I'm gonna basically role play. Okay. What what he does. It's it's almost I won't say it's false humility, but it's once it comes out, uh, he he owns it, but then he wallows in it, and there's never a process of moving forward. It's always this um, every day. It's the same thing. Well, you know, just uh, you know, going through it and dealing with it, and I'm talking to my guys and this and that and the other, and you know, man, I'm just I'm just grateful to have these guys with me, and uh, you know, I, I feel shameful, but I know I shouldn't live in that. Three weeks later, it's the same thing. A month later, it's the same thing. A year later, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's this. It's this. Uh, it's never a, a a positive or I don't even say positive. A forward looking, yeah, perspective of yeah. This is my reality, but this is what it's not. There's no confidence behind it. Mm-hmm. It's very pansy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's this kind of you know shrug of shoulders and just kind of real meek and mild and talk real airy and breathy about it and mm-hmm. always wallowing in it and mm-hmm. but i have guys around me and you know and uh-huh. i don't even want to call that like it's it's like dude okay i like what you're saying i think mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know if it's 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 almost uh it makes me feel like it's another mask if you will it, it, you, and i we got to give some practicals to this okay uh, because I don't know if we're going to be helpful, but I, I think what you're describing, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, a person came to mind immediately uh-huh. that discovered the drug of confession. Yeah, right. Th- there you when go. He, when he confesses, it feels so good. There it you feels go. feels so hopeful now. Thank you. Thank you. But then nothing changes. Mm. There is no, like, true repentance. And, and I just, I hate that the church has uh, taught the that repentance is uh turn 180 degrees change your behavior that's not repentance 
Yeah. Repentance literally means to change your mind. But if I truly change my mind about a behavior or whatever, I say, God, uh, this is your version. This is how I've been living. I change my mind. Behavior will start to change. Right. That doesn't mean I won't still struggle. But the person that came to mind when you were talking, uh, Mondo, I think has just felt like confession is the is the I'm answer. Just gonna keep doing that. That feels good. I'm yeah. not going to take any other steps. Thank I'm you. just going to take the step of confession. That's exactly what I'm describing. It was, it's hard. Thank you for articulating it that way because that's yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And Aaron, you mentioned other steps, and what I've run into is that if you ask a guy, and this is this is my experience, I'd love to know, Aaron Amando, if you've had this with with guys who seem to be addicted to confession. If you ask them, so have you read any books lately? Uh, you know what? What's have you? Have you yeah. been in the scriptures lately? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, no. Yeah. Nah. yeah. What step are you on? Uh, that's for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's so, a very good question. What yeah. step so are you danger, on? Yep. Nate, you gotta yep. you get to answer this. And the danger is that all of a sudden we're back to a very legalistic what what steps are you taking and yeah. we predefine what it should look like and that you should never struggle again and that confession isn't enough. So there's got to be this middle ground. No, 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 no. I mean, this is where I love going back to the 12-step model and where I'm so so grateful for what God has given us uh, through uh, 12-step recovery. There's, if, if I'm in AA, there is never a day when I am not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. There's never a day when I am not powerless over alcohol. No matter how far down the road of recovery I go, I'm I'm always the same distance from the ditch, always. I'm never more than 24 hours sober, right? But at the same time, um, there are steps that we take together, uh, not to get out, but to make progress. Mm-hmm. And uh, we continue taking those steps on a daily basis. Um, so there is, uh, uh, we are followers of Jesus. That that implies movement, motion. Uh, we're doing something, not to earn our salvation, not to not. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love those back-to-back verses. So uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And there, there are always things for us to do. And. Uh, so whether you're following the stages of the path in the Samson paradigm or whether you're following the 12 steps in the 12-step paradigm, there is guidance uh, for something that I can be doing today that will help in uh, practical sanctification and in my recovery. Well, that's probably a good segue into the next thing that Bob wrote about, which is uh, the positive sobriety approach. Well, for those that don't know it, because I'm in. We all totally understand what that means. So, Nate, why don't you explain it for those okay. that? <laughs> well, uh, the phrase "positive sobriety" comes from a from a, a a well-known passage in the Big Book, written by Bill Wilson, and he's describing. And that's not the Bible, everybody. We're talking about no, the Twelve no. Step <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Book. In <laughs> yeah. case you're a Baptist, <laughs> yes. and that confused you. Yeah, um, and he's talking about progress in recovery. Uh, describing the steps that that they have taken in recovery. And at, at one point he says, we began to practice a positive sobriety, taking the actions of love to improve our relations with others. Mm-hmm. We're moving now from 
what some might call a negative sobriety, staying away from certain activities, to doing a positive sobriety. And I think that it's, uh, you know, it's telling that he describes positive sobriety as taking the actions of love. Um, addictive behavior is always uh, self-centered, self-serving. Uh, actions of love in which we actually make somebody else the focus of our thinking and doing runs counter to um, the destructive impulses of addictive behavior. And that's why um, you know the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, much like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So positive sobriety uh, defined as love in various forms. And we've talked in a previous episode about and, and then in the world of recovery that term positive sobriety has come to be associated with other things that I can do to aid the maintenance of my sobriety things like taking care of myself physically mm-hmm. uh, eating right and going to the gym and getting enough sleep and making sure I have medical care and do pros- uh, so um, a, a radical commitment to self-care that is not uh, narcissistic, but it's uh, an attitude of stewardship. We call that positive sobriety. And my, I guess my 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 concern. I, I believe that any good, solid Christian men's group has got to be talking about those issues of positive sobriety. How well? How can we better love our wives and kids this week? How can we steward what God has given us by taking care of ourselves this week? Those are all topics that we need to be hitting on a regular basis, but we can't start there. Sobriety does not start. Uh, A recovery doesn't start with positive sobriety. We cannot positively get ourselves there. Recovery begins, if we're in the 12-step, it begins with um, this negative statement which is very difficult for us to make, and we always want to run away from it. We want to outgrow it. It's a negative statement, and it says, I am powerless over something, and my life is unfreaking manageable. That is, uh, that's, the, that's where the road begins. It begins with admission, as Paul put it so beautifully in Romans chapter 7, that that I can't do what I freaking want to do. The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I can't stop doing. I don't have the power to do this in myself. Recovery does not begin until we reach the point where we have that insight to see that I don't, I do not have the resources. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the strength. I don't have the fortitude. I don't have the ability to do this. God is going to have to do it because I can't. Um, and I think we have to keep returning to that core truth uh, in our Christian men's group, especially if we want to focus on recovery. And and that's why it's incumbent uh, on the leadership to be as authentic as possible. I understand it's tough for this guy as a pastor, tough for any pastor to be 
fully, explicitly authentic with everybody in the congregation about exactly where the battle lines are today. Uh, but I've seen some very courageous pastors go um, to some very courageous places. Where I would encourage Bob to start uh, on that authenticity piece is maybe with the materials produced by the true-faced guys in Phoenix. Um, John Lynch and uh, Bruce, uh, just fantastic stuff. A great little book, and by the way, there's a great study guide with it called The Cure, and a good way to kick off a discussion with men is to is to pop up the YouTube video Two Roads, the Two Roads by John Lynch, uh, which will talk about um, you know how, when we get together we kind of have two choices: do we go into this kind of uh, you know massive uh, uh, room where everybody's wearing masks? And do we try to perform? Is it the is it the room of acceptance or is it the room of authenticity? And we've got to create and maintain a place where guys can be completely honest. And that means, and to get there, we have to talk about, in specific terms, we have to talk about our own powerlessness. Well, uh, I appreciate Bob sending in this email. There's a lot here for us to consider. I think that's those are great topics for each man's uh, group, so I I hope he brings some of these ideas. The listener brings some of this to their group. Uh, can I read the next email? Yeah, do it. I, I think this has yet some more practical stuff for us to touch on today. This is from Kevin. Oh, wait, I have to do my book-reading voice like Nate does when he does these. <laughs> Guys. I'm a recovering porn addict, long-time listener to your podcast. I can't do a good Nate Larkin. Guys, I am a recovering porn addict, long-time listener to your podcast, and have benefited greatly from your conversations and guests. I'm a 51-year-old man, married to my wife for 30 years, led a small Christian-based men's group in my one-horse town. There are generally 6 to 12 of us who meet at the local museum. Oh, that's cool. Each Tuesday night. Yeah, I... Cool. I'm trying to picture it right now. It's kind of a night at the museum picture in my head. I uh, love it. For those of you with small children. <laughs> That's right. We have incorporated some Samson concepts. We are independent of any church and have a heart for men who make no claims of faith and would not think of attending church gatherings. Hallelujah. Please don't take my question as a criticism because I love you guys. Great appreciation for the difference you've made in my life and untold others. Here's my observation. I often hear you mention the consumption of alcohol, Nate. It seems he didn't mm-hmm. put that. It seems to be an important part of your gatherings. While I understand the benefits of an authentic atmosphere and the relaxation that comes from drinking, it would be incredibly destructive in our group. Each week, we have at least two vehicles in our parking lot, uh, lot with uh, interlock ignition devices. Four of our men have long-term struggles with alcohol, two have done serious jail time for repeated DWIs, and one of them caused a leg amputation to a 10-year-old boy. Have you considered that some of the men in your gatherings may struggle with alcohol and that we may be a hindrance to them? I would love to hear your insights. Wow. Yeah, what great letter. Thank you so much, uh, Kevin, for writing in. And you know what? Yeah, this is a it's a it's a tender topic. It's one that keeps coming up. 
uh, hard to know always which way to fall on this. And certainly I would not want to characterize, and, and, and perhaps perhaps I have. I should, I, I should not want to characterize Samson as a, as, a, you know, as a drinking organization. Correct, yeah. Right? All right. Maybe it's not so good that when I travel and visit other groups, typically what they want to do is take me to their pub and uh, <laughs> and pour their best local, You're right. as though that's the thing that binds us together. Uh, I have found that, it, you know, for me and for us, a good percentage of the guys who have come into the Samson orbit here, uh, one way of establishing the fact that this is not church as church is typically done and that we can be real, is to take guys to a place where uh, they have been most authentic in the past and sit down over a beer, uh, kind of declare our emancipation from legalism without getting drunk. Right. Uh, and some of us drink. So in our local meeting, we have alcoholics in our Samson group, and they will talk about um, their, uh, their struggle within the meeting and we, though, since we know they're alcoholics, when we go to the pub, if they come along, some of them come, some of them don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll 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 order a coke or a root beer. But uh, I, I, it certainly sounds to me as though I mean I agree with Kevin that that to introduce that into his group would be very destructive. Well, I remember when you talked about the group originally, uh, the original group, there were two after meeting locations one was in a mexican restaurant and yeah. one was down at the pub right. right so there was that option right that was always made clear so that there was some sensitivity well at the same time some might consider that to be insensitive because what if they want to hang out with the people that go to the pub why don't the pub people just all go to the mexican restaurant yeah yeah and you know and, and i have wondered at times maybe we just ought to all go to the mexican restaurant and everybody ought to order iced tea uh, but I do know, but I think then we lose a valuable dynamic. Right. Isn't it hard to make it cookie cutter, though? Because yeah. you have so many stories, man. Yeah. Uh, and I know every group around the country is going to be completely different. Yeah. Um, it, wouldn't you say it's a case-by-case, a group-to-group uh, decision yeah. uh, as far as how how do you – I mean, I know in the beginning when I first started going, it was, uh, you know, La Hacienda yeah. and, and, and then the pub. and. And and uh, it, it's it's I mean, but of course, I mean Mexican restaurant. I mean, there's yeah, <laughs> there's alcohol there too. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, but I, I would think, as far you know, as far as Kevin's letter, I mean, it yeah, for his group, I definitely wouldn't suggest no. doing that. Um, it seems like it's a case by case kind of deal. Yeah, to, to be honest, what, what do you guys think? You know, what's really nice is the Bible speaks to this clearly and explicitly. In Romans chapter 14, if we all just like took Romans 14 for the next year and read it every day, I think we'd do great here. Okay. Because here we have Paul writing about the principle of conscience. I'm not going to read the whole thing because the whole chapter is, is on this. There's no just one verse I would pull out. But we have, first of all, the liberty to be for or against things, mm-hmm. and that's good. The overarching law, the only cookie-cutter piece we have in a Christian body, or as Christians, non-Christians, is the law of love. Mm-hmm. So, I don't get to judge people who just straight up don't 
uh, approve of drinking, I don't judge them for that. Right. They don't get to judge me because I don't care. And then if there's somebody who's struggling, I need to protect them. Yes. So we're not allowed to judge one another for where we land on this, and we need to protect one another. So that might mean in a group like this, it sounds like some folks need to be protected, which yeah. means the group takes upon themselves the, the onus to protect their brother's hearts and sobriety in life. Um, and then there's also another piece that I experience at the church because uh, the church I'm at is, I was baffled uh, right after we planted the church, we had a camping trip with another church. And sure enough, our people show up with uh, ice chests of beer. It was the first church camp out I ever went to. Uh, <laughs> a group of guys were showing up with ice chests of beer. And so, uh, over the years, you know, if we have a, a potluck or whatever normal churchy gathering, inevitably people are going to bring some bottles of wine or beer. And I've just kind of gotten over that. But there are people in the church who have had concerns with that. But it's not their struggle. Right. The people who have the concerns in my context don't struggle with drinking. They're just really afraid for the person who is hiding in some kind of uh, struggle with alcohol, and this is going to cause a problem for them. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that care for them. But to the person that might be hiding that struggle, what I want to create is a safe place where they stop hiding yeah. so that we can care for them, yeah. that they have some responsibility in this. That doesn't mean that I am just going to <laughs> ignore little signs I might see. We'll bring it up. But to the guys in the group, uh, I think of our, our old pastor pirate group when we would have retreats, and I would call the Nazarene pastors every time and say, hey, you know the Presbyterians are going to bring a lot of scotch, and <laughs> I, will, I will ask them not to bring any scotch uh, if, if that's going to be a problem for you. And without fail, the Nazarene guy's like, no, I'll, just, I'll bring my Diet Coke so he can bring his scotch, and we would spend you know, three or four days together. And, but it was an open dialogue. And yeah. so for some reason, we like to make rules without actually having a stinking conversation. There you go. Where I can exactly. say to a person struggling, all right, where are you at? What do we need to do? I'm willing. What do you need? Let me play devil's advocate for a second. Mm -hmm. First meeting I came to, I said, uh, they talked about the meeting after the meeting. Nobody knew me. I didn't know anybody in the room. Yeah. And they said, you know, we're, we're, headed, we're headed down to the pub. And I, I asked the guy that was, I was sitting next to, I said, uh, what do you do at the pub? We drink. Mm -hmm. I, I don't drink. Then you don't get to come. Now, he was joking. Oh! But there was that heartbeat of yeah. before I realized he was joking that, you know, okay, well, what's going on here? This yeah, is yeah. interesting. But how, how, how do you handle new members? That's right, the right. first devil's advocate question. I've got another one in a second. But got new guys walking in the door all the time. We had yeah. a new guy Monday night yeah. uh, here in Franklin. Uh, didn't know anything about his story. Right. Uh, nobody came with him. He was he was invited by someone, but he came he came alone. How do you, somebody who's new to recovery, yeah. new, to, new to confession, new to transparency, how, how, do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Well, that's good. And maybe we ought to, you know, we never say anything formally in the, in the meeting about the meeting after the meeting, but it might be good to say uh, when we talk about uh, you're free to stay around afterward to talk or to join us elsewhere for more informal fellowship. We'll be going to the pub uh, where... Uh, uh, dr drinking is uh, not encouraged, but is permitted. 
uh, you know your struggle. If you have a problem with alcohol, you need to disclose it or something like that. Yeah, I would say, Mark, with that, uh, that was a that comment to you was uh, a fraternity punch you in the arm kind of jokey joke comment, which I frankly am not a super big fan of. Yeah. Because the overarching law is a law of love. So they don't know you or if you would yeah, get that humor. Right. Uh, that's the problem with our sense of humor. We kind of think everybody gets our sense of humor. But I've run into plenty of people. Well, I don't really, get any of yours, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not, not, yeah, clueless, lost. Exactly. So it's people like Nate that they don't get my humor. So if I'm being loving to a person, and this is how I would coach you, ask how, how do we coach people? Yeah. We need to start by saying, okay, don't, don't begin a relationship with a part of you that might not be understood. Yeah. You need to understand other people first. So when you came up, what was the question you asked again? Say it just like you did. What do you do at the pub? The, I, the great answer is we hang out without the meeting and just get to know each other. That's the answer. Mm -hmm. right. Because there are a lot, uh, I think most people know you can order a Coke in a pub. But if somebody seemed like they were concerned with the pub in the way they asked that question, mm -hmm. you just ask, hey, is, is going to a pub uh, a problem for you? Because we can go somewhere else. And then that'll bring up for you the chance to say, well, it's not a problem. I just don't go to pubs usually and say, oh, well, there's, there's plenty to drink that's not alcoholic there. It's just a place that we like to go to talk. Well, I, I think too, man, I, I think the, the alcohol push may be, I mean, for me, it, a, lot, a lot of guys go there, they, they eat dinner. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, right. And I mean, wherever we go to fellowship, you can get alcohol or get food. We go to a place where you can get alcohol or food or both. You can go to the Mexican restaurant, and get alcohol and food. Yeah, I, 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 it's more about the fellowship, and we're we're, we're hanging out, we're we're having conversation, we're getting to know guys. Where we may have a meal, we may have a beverage. I, I think the alcohol pushes, in my opinion, it, it's almost irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. It, it's it's it, it is it is annoying that it becomes so central, right? Um, but there's two types of people that it's going to be emphasized. Well, okay, then either either the McDonald's? person who grew up <laughs> Starbucks with with that being very central as an evil of yeah. the world, yeah, or the person who's come out of that, who's found liberty and kind of like Nate learning to cuss. I fully endorse Nate uh, using swear words because that was part of him embrace. I'm speaking for you now, Nate. You can, okay, good. Thank you. You can correct me. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> it's the, hey, I faked my relationship with Christ in so many ways, and, and this is kind of breaking down a door where I can be authentic with Jesus. So there are certain people that realize I had been faking a relationship with Jesus it was built on, I don't ever have a beer, and so I love Jesus. Yeah. Uh, that has nothing to do with it. Uh, and so they overemphasize beer or alcohol as a part of their freedom. Both of these, there's a reason that people make it central, but for a lot of people, it's not. They just go and they get some chicken wings and a beer, and it's just not that important. They're yeah. not focused on it. You know, let me ask the other, other yeah, devil's question. advocate question. Yeah. Is the cooler of beer at the church picnic or uh -huh. Uh, uh -huh. camping trip or yeah. <laughs> going to the pub and and you know even having this open you know you don't have to get anything to drink you know half the guys are you know they, they did iced tea or coke is that the equivalent of 
got a bunch of guys headed down the road. Hey, we're going to, you know, we're driving up from Nashville up to Indianapolis to go to a, a football game. And we throw a DVD in the Suburban and it's Die Hard. Oh, yeah, Die Hard. And there's one and a half seconds of nudity in the siege scene. Mm-hmm. Is that is is bringing along that cooler of, of beer, even though the person who's you know, recovering from alcoholism, you know, can say no and grab a Coke. Is that not the same problem, potential trigger, uh, insensitivity, as throwing in a movie that's got a scene of nudity in it for a porn addict? Well, I don't, I don't know. I saw Die Hard last week, so. Uh. <laughs> and pause. It was a pause. I did not pause it. <laughs> it was. I'd forgotten the scene. It was a Christmas movie. I went and saw it at the theater. Oh man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, but my brain did register uh, full frontal female nudity where I had not expected to see it, and it was there and it was gone. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's any different for me if if I was to put on a movie with a group of guys and I knew there was that scene in it, I would say something like, "Hey, scene's coming up." Scene's coming up. Yeah. Like, look, you know, we would just say it and like. Uh, that's what Allie and I do when we go to the movies. Yeah, it would, be, it would be lighthearted with the guys and be like, all right, scene's coming up, look away, whatever. And it wouldn't be a big deal, but it would be saying, I, I don't want to put that trigger in front of anybody. So again, it's just communication. Well, it goes back to what you said, Aaron, about protection, right? I mean, we're, we're protecting our brothers. If I know you struggle mm-hmm. with alcohol or porn or whatever, and if I, if I have information that can help you avoid that trigger. Yeah. I owe it to you. It is my responsibility to communicate and let you know, hey, this is coming down the road. Yeah, yeah. Th- expect That's this. It's Or, hey, we're going to the pub. Some guys do drink. Some yeah. guys don't. We're going to have some food, fish and chips, wings or whatever. Yeah. You're more than welcome to come. If not, totally understand. Some guys are going to the Mexican yeah. restaurant. Oh, by the way, there's alcohol there too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like this option better than getting everybody in the suburban to go to Indianapolis and watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I, this is this is such a great question because it brings to light the the ridiculous trap we get into at the church, which is life is messy. Let's make a rule to clean it up. Ah, exactly. There you go. In, instead of just saying like, okay, who am I with? What do they need? How can I love them? How do I serve the people around me best? How do I help them? How do I protect them? How do I communicate? Absolutely. Well, you know what? That sounds like a really good wrap up phrase. Time has flown. It has. Uh. Man, it's good to be back together. It is, man. And is. are we or are we not going to make a commitment to make this a regular thing, like a weekly free? Yeah, I do not come making any promises. What didn't you write this? In the I charter? did. Yeah, making no promises, but merely asking for his aid. <laughs> so I ask for Jesus's aid in making this Wednesday morning recording time. Yeah. Yeah, man. Because my inbox on Facebook has been blowing up. <laughs> Like guys, guys, I mean, literally, guys are like, "Hey, where are y'all at?" Like, Mondo, is it your fault? You know? <laughs> that must be because I'm telling everybody it's Probably. your fault. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what a good time! Who knows where the podcast is going to go? But uh, uh, do we have we have guests lined up for next week? Well, we were going to try to rotate through and try to figure out uh, different ideas. So this this week we hit the mailbag. Okay. Uh, next week it's my recommendation that we take a look at at some of the steps and okay. talk about more than just meetings. Yep. But talk about more in depth of the the Samson Society journey and yep. and how to uh, how to move down the road. That sounds 
excellent. There we go. I love talking about the steps. All right, so until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Mondo. I'm Mark. And I'm Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Sir.